The Start. On Demand. demand. Hey, it's Brett. It's the Monday edition of the podcast for The Start. Mackling, McNabb, and McGarry. And today, you're going to hear from a University of Winnipeg professor who says, in spite of the statistics in recent years, overall, violent crime in Winnipeg is down. And then we're going to have coffee and talk about whether or not we feel safe in Winnipeg. What do we think about violent crime? Also, our friend Kelly Keene is going to visit us. She's going to tell us about five financial fails to avoid this fall. We're going to chat with a woman who partook in a new show coming up on APTN called First Contact. Six Canadians with outspoken views about Indigenous Canadians. And for 28 days, these six Canadians go on a journey and get an eye-opening education on what is actually happening in this country as it pertains to our Indigenous population. And then finally, we're going to meet an author from Gimli who's having a book launch on Wednesday, August 29th at McNally Robinson. The book is called In Valhalla's Shadows, and it's partially set here in Manitoba. And the author, once again, he's from Gimli. It all sounds really cool, and it's all coming up on the podcast. Well, unfortunately, Winnipeg often is seen by many as the king of violent crime. And when it comes to crime in this city, Loren, the headlines over the past week alone may have been startling to some. Yeah, just last week, one of those headlines read 11 people injured in a five day stabbing spree in Winnipeg. Another talked about a man high on meth hurtling a propane tank through a police car. Those are the headlines, then there are the statistics. The violent crime rate up 7% this year over last. But should Winnipeggers be worried? Michael Weinrath is a professor of criminology at the University of Winnipeg and spoke to CJOB's Clay Young. And I think that the police are, uh, you know, uh, trying to behave in in a responsible manner and and advising people uh, when these things occur. But if you actually go to their own website, you'll see that shootings are actually down 18% from last year. Uh, so it may be that we're having a few shootings uh, and there's there's some things going on. But the media reports actually indicated a number of those uh, situations involving the stabbings uh, are people who don't want to talk to police, don't want to uh, indicate, uh, you know, who it was who might have uh, uh, stabbed them. Uh, so, again, you're seeing crime concentrated among, you know, people who are involved in, uh, you know, the criminal life and gang life. So that, uh, you know, your average citizen is going out and getting shot at or stabbed, you know, doesn't seem to be happening. Now, while the violent crime index is trending up in recent years, the criminologist says Winnipeggers are safer now than they were 10 to 15 years ago. Well, I mean, I think that uh, when the crime rate starts uh, going up, and it's gone up now for uh, for a few years, uh, I mean, I think Winnipeggers should be concerned, uh, concerned about... Uh, some of the uh, consistent causes of crime, uh, like uh, poverty, uh, like addiction, and and victimization that's concentrated in in certain areas of the city and tends to be concentrated in the poor areas. Uh, but in terms of their own personal safety, uh, people in Winnipeg now are, are safer, uh, you know, in a relative sense than they were in the late uh, '90s and early 2000s. And what do you base that on? 
Well, if you actually look at the statistics, and, you know, criminologists, we like to take the long view. We don't like to necessarily react to uh, to a couple of uh, incidents, although that's certainly the, the human reaction. Uh, but if you look at the crime severity index back from uh, 1998, it was 165.95, right? So it's a rating based on, you know, the number of serious crimes like uh, assaults uh, and more serious property crimes like break-ins. So the 165.95, it was 111.92 in 2017. So it's like way down from uh, 1998. And in fact, if you look at the index, I mean, it stayed, uh, you know, between uh, 164, 165 uh, right up until uh, about 2000, 2007. So really, we actually had a, a decline in crime for a significant period of time, and now it's starting to, uh, to creep back up. But, you know, again, taking the long view, whether it's for property uh, crime or violent crime, yeah, you're safer now than you were 10, 15 years ago. That is Michael Weinrath, professor of criminology at the University of Winnipeg, in conversation with 680 CJOB's Clay Young on weekend mornings on Saturday. And if you want to hear the entire conversation, you can go to the audio vault at cjob.com. That conversation happened Saturday morning at 835. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. I'm Brett McGarry, Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb and Greg. Previous segment... Uh, we heard that violent crime is down. Great. In the city of Winnipeg. Uh, sure. Let's celebrate. Let's have a party. Big cake at Portage in Maine. Bring it on Wednesday. That's we'll right. celebrate. Yeah, we're going to be there, actually, from 6 to 10 a.m. to have our Portage in Maine fork in the road all day discussion. Well, I think that fork in the road conversation could center around crime and our perception of crime in all parts of the city. I got a phone call from, I have a camper trailer that I put in storage. I won't say exactly where I keep it, but I did get a phone call the other day to say, uh, Mr. Mackley, you need to come down and check out your trailer. And I figured, oh, you know, somebody bumped into it or something. No, they figure somebody's been living in my camper trailer. <laughs> and they figure that person, uh, you know, is one of the many folks who are addicted and involved in methamphetamine or other drugs in our community. So uh, I would say average and most Winnipeggers would not concur with the statistics. And to use the sports analogy, Kelly, Number, numbers don't lie, but statistics are for losers. Yeah, I would say so for sure. And uh, it, it, it's something that's becoming more and more on on the mindset. I mean, when you think of just what's happened in this country this summer, you know, with the shooting in Toronto, with what happened in Fredericton, you know, I mean, just yesterday, you know, the latest incident that happens in Jacksonville, I don't know that we feel uh, that we are insulated here. Now, knock on wood, we haven't had that kind of a scenario in Winnipeg, but uh, yesterday, uh, we were down in Morden for the Corn and Apple Festival. As I'm walking down Main Street, busy people are having a great time in that. And I, you know, I, I thought, oh, man, I, what would happen if somebody oh my. all of a sudden came down on the street? It's sad you that know, that's where your head might go yeah, in that circumstance, for sure. It was only for a fleeting second, and then you, know, you get back to having a good time. But, yeah, because there's a large collection of people. But is it not where where you live or where you frequent? I mean, you actually don't feel safe in your own neighborhood. I I feel I worked downtown for seven years at Portage of Maine, and I, there was the odd scenario, and I would worry if I saw something in the headline. But I'm not. I don't feel unsafe in Winnipeg. 
Yeah, I remember, uh, I used to, well, I can't do it anymore because I have to be in bed by nighttime, <laughs> but I used to go for walks at night all the time in Crescentwood. I'd uh, walk around Corden Village and Osborne Village, and I'd often, I would often go out at like 10.30, and the, the only time where I was actually genuinely scared, I was walking on Wellington Crescent, so not uh, the part north of Academy along the river, but just the, the part leading from sort of River Heights into Osborne Village. And I'm walking, and I see these two young guys. They look like they were probably 19, 20. They're both uh, they're both wearing what you would what you would think of as kind of you know gangsta thug clothing, whatever. And uh, they started running across the street, and I figure, well, big deal. They're running across the street, but I realize very quickly they're running towards me. And I thought, okay, they could just happen to be running towards me, but it it, it suddenly became extra clear they were running right at me. And they ran right at me to the point where I actually had to rear back, had to close my hand into a fist and get ready to throw down. And he ran right into my face and screamed at me, and then they just ran away. I don't know (laughs) if they were planning to jump me and then bailed at the last second when they saw that I was six foot four and I was ready to lay them down. But that still, that gave me pause as to whether or not I need to be out at 11.30, going for a walk. You know, uh, there are lots of times when, Kelly, you've been in this uh, boat, when we'll leave Jets games well after the 15,000 plus in attendance are at Bell MTS Place and we'll be doing work in the press box and then we leave and then you realize I've got my laptop computer, I'm walking somewhere where I've got to walk on Portage Avenue or side streets to get back to my vehicle. I am typically, I have no problem when I'm with the masses, but when I'm downtown and I'm alone, vulnerable. whether it's in the daytime or the nighttime, I am looking over my shoulder. Bronner? Yeah, I, I was downtown as two in the afternoon this summer one day. It was a bright light out, and I was looking at my little Google Maps trying to figure out where I was supposed to go, and I was like, oh, if I cut through this alley, I'm right there. And I looked down the alley, and I was like, and I was like, nah, I'll just take the long way around, just just to be on the safe side. But uh, another night this summer, my girlfriend and I were walking down Corden Avenue, like, oh, let's go for a lovely stroll down Corden. Mm-hmm. And it was fine. I, I got like a Slurpee, and we're going down. And you get past like the busy part to the not-so-busy part, and it's like, all of a sudden, it's like, what is going on? This was just super sketchy. And we looked at the clock. It's like, okay, it's 1130 at night. I mean. We should have come, you know, for a stroll at 7 o'clock. It would have been a little bit nicer. But Well, that's so, one of the problems with that neighborhood, right? Because the, yeah. the trees are wonderful, but they're so old and big that the light just, the, even the street lights, mm. they disappear into those trees. So, it can, yeah, it can be scary walking around that area. If you're alone, like especially, I've, I, when I say I don't, I feel safe, I do. But if I, you're at night and you're by yourself and a woman, and depending on the hour, I've, after a Jets game, I've even gone to the parkade and I'll have my keys out. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do with them, like try to cut somebody with my Sorrento key. I don't think it'll do it, but but my chuck and I might chuck and that. Get them with then, the back scratcher. And then run. Yeah, I should walk with this, hey? That might do it. Terrorize kind of like a club. Yeah. My girlfriend's a little taller than me, so I'm not that afraid. Plus, I can run faster than her. Oh, well, you only well, have to be faster than the person next to you, Jeff. There well, you go. And Loren, on the subject, uh, you know, you mentioned being a woman. We'll recall a police released on uh, August 21st at 5.45 p.m. Yeah. An 18-year-old woman walking along the river path in the area of Queen Elizabeth Way. I think it was near Bonnie Castle Park along the Cinnabon. Avenue, and she was grabbed by two guys, and then they sexually assaulted her. Yeah, before and that's six broad daylight for sure. Yeah. And you—that's those are the kind of headlines I think you read or hear, and then you start to think: Should I? Can I not just walk down 
the path at 5.45 p.m. without being worried. But again, there's just those pockets in Winnipeg. You spoke of Cordon, uh, where you were in Crescent View, I think you said. Crescent like, Wood, yeah. Crescent Wood, sorry. It, you just have those places that suddenly become really dark or isolated. And then you might not have thought of it going in that you're unsafe, but then you get there and you're like, wait a minute, should I be out here alone? I think part of, part of what concerns me is that in order for a crime to make it into the statistics, it has to be reported. Mm-hmm. And we know that there are long, long waits of call for service uh, on any given night in Winnipeg. And so I wonder, and this is just me speaking here, no agenda, but I wonder how many crimes go unreported because when you call and you ask for assistance, there just is assistance, there just isn't anybody available. And I mean, the police don't even come to your house when you're when your home gets broken into anymore. They give you an incident report and they might come by three or four days later, but typically they don't even make a house call for that anymore. So uh, to me, these statistics feel misleading and the numbers don't matter. It's about how I feel about being out in the community. time of year when we are almost ready to start thinking again about raking up piles of leaves and drink pumpkin spiced lattes and teas and the and the like but with the change in season you will also want to make sure you're doing regular maintenance on your finances to give us the five financial fails to avoid this fall lots of f's in there kelly we want to avoid more <laughs> f words i think we are joined live on 680 cjob by kelly keen award-winning author personal finance educator and consumer advocate for the financial planning standards council of canada and kelly always great to get some time with you thanks for getting up so early in calgary this morning to spend some time with us Yes. Good morning. Good morning. You know, I love being with you. Happy Monday. Talking about money, my favorite thing. Fall. Yeah, not so much. But um, yeah, it's just it's so important. I think that spring and fall and, and the new year are usually the time that we sit down, we kind of think about what we should be um, avoiding. And then, yeah, I've got some fails for you. Uh, so let me know if you want to dig right in or if you have something too that you want to talk about. Well, first of all, I'm curious to know, why don't you like the fall? I don't, I don't know. I just, I love summer. It's been such a great summer. I mean, I was in Winnipeg. I had so much fun there this summer and uh, I just, I don't want the fall to come yet. How about you guys? I actually, as much as I like summer, for some reason, I think the fall is my favorite season of the mm-hmm. year. I think it is for me too. It is. I like I like it a lot, but I'm now also in a different stage of life where the kids are back to school. And so even when you talk money, we did all our shopping yesterday for the kids, like you're trying to limit things. And so it's also a little bit of a stressful time more so than it used to be for me. My favorite season, you know, to take walks and all that kind of stuff. But honest to God, yesterday, there was many times in the store where I was like, I don't think we need to get this. Ugh, it's on the list. Okay, we'll get it. Like, it's just, you know, it's money. Time is, it's all about money now in the fall. Well, Kelly, yeah. meet, that's Loren McNabb, by the way, Kelly, our new co-host. Uh, so, Hello, Loren. Hello. Nice to meet you over the phone. So did, La- did Loren, is she showing some some financial know-it-all or financial know-how know-it-all? You're, well, she is kind of a know-it-all. <laughs> but uh, financial know-how here as it comes to these financial fails this fall? How did you know? How did you know? What, what I love, what you said, Loren, you had the list. You were like, oh, it's on the list. <laughs> Absolutely. This is something and uh, I do it all the time when I go grocery shopping and not making that list 
buying a bunch of stuff that you don't need, especially when you're going out with kids. Uh, it's tough and retailers are counting on you not making wise decisions. So I'll get to my first of the fail and it is decision fatigue. Now, guys, I think this is so fascinating. Some research I'm doing for my new book on the whole behavioral side when it comes to money that we're irrational, that traditional economics says that we're rational. But look at this. Um, I dug this up that judges are 65% more likely to grant parole after lunch. Do you know how likely they are to grant you parole? Not that any of you would ever be in this situation. Uh, but before lunch, it's zero. So now it isn't just the food. It isn't just that, that the judges are hungry and they're satiated after lunch. It's what's called, and researchers are, are finding so much fascinating um, insight into decision fatigue. So Lorenz really smart. She goes out, she's got her list, she's got the kids, but so many of us um, at the end of a long day are going to make a major decision like buying a car, going to uh, negotiate your mortgage, uh, maybe determining if you're going to see a, a certified financial planner or not. And that is, that's the wrong thing to do because it is just, uh, you're more likely to choose the default than to actually make a logical, rational decision. I, I actually bought some stuff yesterday before lunch and made a poor choice because I kind of gave up on the backpack debate. One was more expensive than the other. And we were hungry and we were going to go to lunch. And then I was like, forget it. Let's just let's get these backpacks that I would never have spent this money on. And I still like I felt ill last night. It was $10 more than the next one. But still, <laughs> I was like, oh, these kids, do they really need this one. You also talk about, Kelly, something about the what's the marshmallow experiment and sort of the effect that it can have on people from poor kids versus affluent families. Yeah, this is really fascinating, too. I'm sure a lot of you have seen this cute. If you Google it, if your listeners don't know about this, just Google the marshmallow experiment. It's so cute. These little tiny kids are trying so hard to resist these marshmallows. So basically, the researcher says, uh, you, you know, if you can resist this marshmallow, delay gratification. When the researcher comes back, you're going to get two. And this is a study done um, with Stanford kids many, many years ago, decades ago. And what it revealed was that if you could delay gratification, he followed all these people into adulthood, you will be more successful. However, a new study just came out recently and said, look, that study, number one, was too small. Um, it was done with Stanford students, with, their, um, with Stanford uh, kids at, at daycare. So as you can appreciate, probably more affluent people uh, if, they're, if they're going to Stanford. And the new study was much more robust, 900 in it. And basically what they found that it's not the delaying of the gratification per se that is a contributor to your child's success or not. It is, did you come from an affluent family or not? Because if there isn't enough food, if there are promises made as a child and you see that, you know, that doesn't come through necessarily, if the backpack was promised or some new cool toy or something of like that and it didn't come through, what that's telling your child is that, um, delaying, uh, uh, you know, instant gratification actually would be the more logical thing to do. So that this study was basically saying um, that, you know, obviously a more affluent family is able to delay gratification more. So the takeaway is that, um, you know, to really sit down with your kids and to talk to them about goals and wants and needs and all of this and make sure if you're making a promise that that's actually coming through to the kids as well. Uh, so, yeah, fascinating new research on, on that. 
you know, it's the whole get it while you can, right, Kelly? If you're not used to having options and the availability of something like a marshmallow, and Loren was talking about shopping, and I know that I have to watch myself when I go to Costco because I tell myself, you know, the way they retail in terms of their hard goods they don't always have it. So you might have to get it now because the next time you come, and I think this is part of their marketing strategy, mm-hmm. it plays with your mind a little bit. If you don't get it today and you come back Wednesday, they may not have it. Oh, that's so true. Yes. And I find that, especially in big cities too, like Toronto or what have you, if you don't get something by noon, it's gone by later in the day. So yes, of course, they're, they're teaching us that scarcity, that Um, You come to get it and it's not there. So just being aware, being aware of these tricks. And also, you know, in some research that I did with parents over the years as well, I found, now anecdotally, this was my own, but that a lot of times wealthier parents will not give their kids everything, even though they can afford it. They will will teach them about, you know, long-term savings and things of that sort, where sometimes, and I came from a really poor family, so I speak from experience, that, you know, sometimes when a parent who's really struggling just has a little extra money, they right away buy their kids something just to, you know, make them and make their kids feel better. Um, so it's tough. These are tough conversations to be aware of. But also that, hey, it's sometimes not all your fault if, um, you, you know, you're succumbing to instant gratification. Kelly, we got to leave it there. But thank you so much for joining us this morning. We always love uh, having a chat with you, especially so early, 6.15 in the morning in Calgary. Thank you for the time. We appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Kellykeen.com is the website spelled K-E-L-L-E-Y-K-E-E-H-N.com. She's an award-winning author, personal finance educator, and consumer advocate for the Financial Planning Standards Council. It's the start with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. My name is Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. A new show on APTN is trying to change the stereotypical thinking of some people when it comes to the Indigenous community in Canada. The new show, First Contact, focuses on six Canadians who all have strong opinions about Indigenous Canadians. They will spend four weeks getting to know Indigenous people and visiting their communities. Joining us live on 680 CGOB is Jeff Newman. He's the executive producer, writer, and director of First Contact, along with Ashley, who will be featured on the show. And Ashley joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Ashley, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us today. Now, before we chat with you, we've pulled a clip from the trailer for First Contact, and we just want to play this to help set up, uh, because Greg was the first one to spot this trailer, and he said, guys, you got to watch this. So Loren and I watched it, and both of our jaws hit the floor. So just have a listen to this clip. I think of alcoholism, I think of drug abuse, a whole bunch of partying and flop houses. They just always get money and, and handouts. How are they the worst off when they're given so much? We are being made to pay for something that we didn't do. Where's my money going? They don't paint their houses. They don't uh, fix windows. Welfare's not a career. They're angry at white people. I mean, they want you to feel sorry for them. Get off your ass if you're unhappy and go do something about it. it feels like it's just a lost cause at this point. 
I would like to take this opportunity to welcome all of you to my community so that you can see with your own eyes, experience with your own bodies, and feel with your own hearts what this community is really about. Ashley joins us now, as mentioned. Ashley, I can only imagine that this this show is in the can, as they say, in the production world. So you've already had this experience, and I know you want us to watch and the producers want us to watch, but what can you tell us about this experience and, and how it may have changed your life? For, I'll speak for myself, really, because um, we all had a different experience over the 28 days when we were gone, and I mean... I put myself in obviously my own shoes, but as well as other Canadians, which everyone will see. So for myself, I asked questions that the average Canadian thinks, um, as well as the questions that I had. And I was, as you see in the trailer, I was a little bit ignorant towards some of the views. And, and for myself, I really just want everyone to watch all the episodes to see that um, obviously my, some of my thoughts were a little shifted um, after the 28 days. You mentioned in the trailer you hear a lot of the comments that that are overheard in Canadian society and some of the stereotypes of First Nations communities. And actually, you're really putting yourself out there, though, to, to go on camera and sort of give those opinions. And then what made you want to do that, to A, say that out loud, but then kind of walk through the process and visit all these communities, the north end of Winnipeg being one of them? Yeah, I mean, the only way you can really learn is to be vulnerable and be open. And I know that the average person is not going to do that. And they might be afraid, which is like, I completely understand. But for myself, like my parents know me, I, I just do whatever. Like I'm an adventurous person. And when I had the opportunity to take part uh, with this series, it was a no brainer for me. And not only was it educational, but I'm okay with being in front of a camera and showing, you know, certain things that I maybe was wrong about. Completely, I, I because a lot of Canadians also think some of the questions that I asked. So if I don't ask them and I don't put myself out there, how are other people going to learn? Ashley so, Matthew, Ashley is one of our guests this morning. We're talking about a new show coming up on APTN. It's called First Contact, and it debuts on APTN on September 11th. The first episode is September 11th. Uh, it's actually going to air the, the 11th, the 12th, and the 13th, and then the, the episodes will repeat on September 16th. Now, Ashley, one of your stops included a trip to Winnipeg's, to the, to the area known as the North End. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that without giving away, we obviously we want to watch the show, but what can you tell us about your experience there? Eye-opening. I mean, there's, I had never been to Winnipeg before. It was pretty much my first time. So for me, going into Winnipeg was a bit of an eye-opener with um, well, the Indigenous culture that's there and the communities and, and whatnot. And I think a, a lot of Canadians were in my shoes. They'd probably never seen some of that. So... Um, yeah, it was definitely definitely an eye-opener, and I hope people watch and also open up their eyes. For example, what? What sort of things did you see that you thought you, you hadn't even maybe thought of, perhaps? Um, without going into too much detail, because I want everyone to watch, uh, you know, the, the poverty, the way some of the systems, or lack thereof, that are there for um, Indigenous people who are, are struggling, and for me as a Canadian, seeing that, it was it was a little rough because, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all humans and everyone should be treated with the same respect. 
Ashley joins us. She's a participant in this incredibly, in my mind, fascinating show. It's called First Contact. Six Canadians who all have strong opinions about Indigenous Canadians express those questions that I think we've all heard around the dining room table, uh, around having a beer in the backyard or maybe at a lounge. And, and there's sometimes things that people say about Indigenous Canadians that we wouldn't really say out loud. Ashley and her five cohorts who were featured in this program had an I would say I, I would say I would give you the fact that you were brave enough to say them in public, Ashley. We played that clip off the top. What was that? What question are you asking or comment are you making that's featured in that in that clip that we played? For myself, the the clip there that you guys heard was about the alcoholism and drug abuse amongst the uh, indigenous culture. Which, again, for most Canadians, that's probably on their mind and their thought pattern. It, and uh, so those were my points of view because it's also what I've seen and, and what Canadians also see. So how different is it? How different is it to pose that question hypothetically to a camera, maybe a handful of people in a room that are part of a production company, to saying it across the dinner table from a Canadian of Indigenous descent? Honestly, like I'm such a blunt and straightforward person that it doesn't matter if I'm saying in front of a camera or asking someone of Indigenous culture. I think it's a question that a lot of people want to ask. So for me, whether it's, again, in front of someone or in front of a camera, for me, it's it's all the same. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We very much appreciate the time. And, and thanks for putting yourself out there like this. You know, a lot of people would be afraid, I think, to put their themselves on the line because I'd imagine maybe it, it, you could, like, have you received any, actually, before we let you go, have you received any sort of negative feedback or even hateful feedback from people who calling you whatever they want to call you? No, actually, the feedback has been extremely positive. I haven't uh, haven't seen anything negative, and I mean there are some that probably think it, but for the most part, I've seen everything just be really positive. All right, Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. You can see Ashley's journey on APTN starting on September 11th. The show is called First Contact. Once again, just look up the trailer. It is amazing. The show looks wonderful, and it does include a stop, as we mentioned here in Winnipeg, in the North End, uh, featuring Michael Champagne. The first episode airs. September 11th at 6 o'clock our time, the second one on September 12th, same time, and then the third one on September 13th, and they all repeat on September 16th. My name is Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, a.k.a. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And right now, we've had this book in our hands for about three weeks, maybe a month even. The book launch is on Wednesday, August 29th at Grant Park. And Greg, it's a murder mystery with a Manitoban Icelandic twist. It really is. W.D. Velgardson's novel, In Valhalla Shadows, is set in Winnipeg in a town that may be reminiscent of Gimli. The launch of the book is Wednesday <laughs> evening, as you mentioned, Brett, at McNally Robinson. And to give us a preview of his latest literary work, we're joined in studio 
by W.D. Valgardson. And, and W.D. or Bill, I guess, as we yeah, can call Bill, you, yeah, yeah. I'm fascinated by the D. I always love the fact <laughs> that authors have to have their middle initial. It's it's it's, it's authors and serial yeah. killers, right? That's yeah, how you that's know you've right. made it. We know their middle names. <laughs> what does the D stand for? Dempsey. Dempsey. Tell us the story there because you're such a great storyteller. Yeah, yeah. Well, my father's real name was Alfred Herbert. I didn't know that until I was probably 30 years old. Uh, the uh, he was nicknamed Dempsey because he was a, a brawler. He he uh, his brother said that Dempsey would rather fight than eat. <laughs> well, you can't fight if you don't eat. You need to, you got to have the energy to fight. You didn't live up to the name though. You tell us that you're 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 the opposite of a brawler. Yeah, I'm the opposite of a brawler. You know, I I went off and got an education. I went to Iowa. Iowa. I don't know you what Iowa. Workshop, writer's workshop. It was the creme de la creme. My first, uh, my first uh, class was with Kurt Vonnegut. I mean, oh, wow. it was that kind of school. Oh my word! Yeah, yeah. amazing, eh? And and here I was, a guy I'd been teaching high school in Pinawa, and I got this letter asking me to come, and I dropped everything on my high school teaching career and I went there, and amazing. I were you know had as instructors all these famous people. And so uh, then I left there, and I. This is the opposite of the brawler. Uh, I went to a place called Cotty College in southern Missouri, and it was a private school for young women. Good thing I was married, kept me out of trouble. <laughs> 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 I was salivating at the yeah, thought. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was for a, you know for a, a boy largely coming out of the bush as the person in charge of manners at the school uh, said, "Bill, you're a diamond, but you're pretty rough. We're going to have to do a little <laughs> polishing here." <laughs> okay, so the book that you've written here uh, in Valhalla's Shadows. Uh, Mr. Volgudson. Well, first of all, for those who don't know, what is Valhalla? Well, that's the home of the gods uh, for the Vikings. And uh, if you are killed in battle and are brave, uh, and half of those people get taken to Valhalla. So, and in Valhalla, they, they fight. And if you're killed in Valhalla, you rise up at the end of the day and you feast and do all the things that a proper Viking would do. They party. And, and then the next day they go back into battle. So you have to, you have to fight valiantly on earth yes. to get into Valhalla yes. where you go in and then fight again. Yes. And if you're killed in battle, then you get your reward? Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. And, and. Uh, they're they're preparing for Ragnarok for the end of the world when they when they'll go into a battle that it's you know uh, it's sort of like Armageddon that everything everybody will die and then rise up again. So the book has a ex police officer sort of moving or trying to run away perhaps from an accident an incident in his career ends up in the town much yes. like Gimli and then finds himself in a whole other situation yes absolutely uh, and that uh, people have said to me how did you end up writing that now uh, when I was in Iowa and graduate school the Vietnam War was on and America was at war with itself and some of my classmates were soldiers that were coming back from Vietnam and they, they didn't call it PTSD in those days. But, you know, if there was a sound, they dropped to the ground without thinking because that's what saved them in Vietnam. 
and uh, their lives and the lives of their uh, families were profoundly affected. And, of course, the police were pigs, right? They were the guys that were uh, arresting all the fine art students who were uh, against the war. And um, then when I went to this small Missouri uh, town, I had the good fortune to have as a landlord and my next-door neighbor a highway patrolman. And so uh, instead of stereotyping the police as a bunch of pigs, here was a very good guy very brave, strong, uh, and caring. And because of the way the laws are there, he was allowed to take me patrolling with him. So here's this guy, you know, here I am, you know, poet, fiction writer, dramatist kind of thing, uh, wimp. And, and, <laughs> <laughs> and here I am with this, you know, strapping uh, highway patrolman. And off we would go in the night. And, and I would get to meet with his colleagues. And I went to their parties and things. And I got to see the police as real people, as human beings, as individuals. And I saw the toll on them whenever they did things like having to cover uh, a terrible car accident in which an entire family was killed, including a bunch of little children. And, you know, they went home and cried and hugged their kids. They weren't pigs. They were people. And they were doing a very tough job. So I, I'm fascinated to comprehend how you go from this conversation, this concept surrounding Icelandic mythology <laughs> to something so timely like PTSD and this lack of understanding for so long, right? Shell shock is really what they yes. called it in World War Absolutely. II. And, and when uh, soldiers came home from Vietnam, uh, people were devastated mentally. And in a country where the war was frowned upon on both sides, right? Yes. The, the, the protesters were hated yeah. and the soldiers were hated by the yes. protesters when they came home and, and labeled baby killers, all those yeah. horrific uh, terminologies. How do, how do you combine these two abstract uh, sort of concepts? I think that uh, because uh, of my experience, I, I started to follow all the thing about suicides, uh, suicides in the military, suicides in the RCMP, uh, the problems that the RCMP has had and has been unable to solve with regard to uh, harassment of women officers uh, and the fact that Time and time, they've tried to find solutions, and those solutions have been sabotaged. They, the problem is it's a military, you know, it's based on a military organization, and it doesn't really allow, uh, I think in the book it says, you know, if you show some feeling the next day when you come in, uh, there'll be a pink towel thrown over the back of your chair. You know, you're a wimp. I mean, you're, you're, you're weak. There's that danger of... and. I talked to a psychiatrist about this, and he said the problem is everybody's under so much stress. If one person breaks down, there's a danger then a whole bunch of people break down. So everybody's fighting to not break down, and you don't, you know, they don't want you to be the weak link. So it's a murder mystery. Yes. It's a fictional account. Yes. The police officer goes to this town, confront, confronted with a murder trying to solve it, but at the same time, there's this other layer obviously there. So the takeaway you'd want people to get from the end of the book must be some enlightenment on the yes. issue of PTSD. Yes, and, and uh, also uh, the young woman that is that he finds dead on the shore at the beginning of the book is part native. And I think that 
Uh, one, I, in Manitoba from the time I was a child, because my father hired a lot of Native people for his fish camp to work, you know, fishing. So to me, they were people. They, they weren't a stereotype. But uh, on top of that, when I was teaching at the University of Victoria, I taught creative writing there for 30 years. I had wonderful Native students, wonderful, uh, you know, Richard Van Camp uh, from Fort Smith. He's a powerful writer and activist and so on. Uh, went back to Fort Smith and doing everything he can to help the Native communities. Uh, Eden Robinson was one of my students. She wrote her first book, Trap Lines. And, you know, we had uh, an attitude in our department that... Aboriginal people, there has been tremendous effort on the part of governments, on the part of, uh, uh, of churches to take their voice away. I mean, they deliberately try to take their voice away, destroy their language, destroy their beliefs. I mean, it was unbelievable. But here we were being given a small chance to try and help these talented people to get their voices back. Mackling McGarry McNabb joined in studio by W.D. Volgardson. And I've been seeing Volgardson just a little bit of that hiccup in the Icelandic language. <laughs> I, I, I'm supposing both could be correct. Oh, yeah. yeah. None, of, none of us, including me, can actually say it the way I'm saying it. So we're good. Yeah. You can go with, with whatever. <laughs> no, we're, we're all doing pretty good. I love it. I love yeah. it. It's great to have you here. So glad you could stick around. The novel is in Valhalla's shadows, set in Winnipeg in a town that is rem- Reminiscent of Gimli, of course, is a, a work of fiction, so got to be careful here, right? Uh, <laughs> the book launches Wednesday evening at Mally Robinson, Lorette. Yeah, it's been pretty interesting to chat with you because it, the book has multiple layers, right? I think we're, yes. when you go through it, you're going to identify with some of the things you're talking about, whether you're from a small town. Yeah. But it, the scene is a is an ex-cop, lands in a small town, finds the body of an indig- indigenous girl on the edge of a, a lake, and then from there, we have all these layers of uh, systemic racism, PTSD. Yes. And, and I think a lot of Manitobans and Canadians, when they read it, if you're from a small town, might identify with those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think, too, I try to deal with the whole thing of age because I'm 79 years old and people want to treat sometimes because I'm 79. You know, it's like you're ancient. Well, I am ancient, <laughs> but, you know, but I just had this book published. And, and since I retired 14 years ago, I was editor for a while of Lorberg Heimskringla, the Icelandic Canadian paper, the oldest ethnic newspaper in Canada. It's published out of Winnipeg. And had no uh, idea. Oh, didn't you know? Oh, yeah. It well, was wonderful. I always all my chock full of information. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, you know, I. I've done a lot of journalism, but I've done, you know, published poetry and fiction and drama and all that kind of stuff. But I always dreamed of being a journalist and, and getting to be the editor of Lorbeck Heimskringle for a couple of years was a dream come true. Yeah, no, just I, the whole concept of, of journalists and them bringing, you know, important news to the public. And, and to me, this attack in America at the moment on journalism is outrageous. Because, you know, and it's, it's an attack because journalists are not the enemy of the people. Journalists are the people that keep the uh, politicians honest. Well, it's an attack on fact-finding and storytelling. Absolutely. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're always, uh, when my novel uh, came out, um, the first one, Gentle Sinners, uh, I had a two, 
year campaign against getting it out of the uh, Manitoba school system because it made fun of fundamental Christians. And, and I'm from a fundamental church. I mean, Lutheran, you know, Manitoba, Missouri, Lutheran kind of thing. Uh, and I can still make fun of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's but all about are, education, right? And learning along the way. And you said 79 years old. Yeah. With that comes some wisdom. And Nick, sharing your experiences. Well, hopefully, rather, hopefully it brings wisdom rather than narrowness of vision and saying everything has to stay the way it was in the past. The book launch is this Wednesday, August 29th, McNally Robinson, Grant Park. The book is called In Valhalla's Shadows, and it's written by Gimli's own W.D. Volgardson. It's set in Winnipeg. It's set in a town kind of like Gimli, and it's got all sorts of stuff on Nordic mythology and PTSD and Man, we're excited to read this. Thank you so much for stopping by. We appreciate the visit. Thank you very much. Come see us again. The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.